welcome listeners to the podcast for Workplace Advisory Group and Mark Diamond and all things about industrial relations without the ball. This is the third in the series and we're actually going to give this one a title today everybody and it's called We're Watching You. The subject matter is surveillance in the workplace, we'll call it that, and our esteemed guest is Australia's premier lawyer on data, privacy and all things digital, Peter Leonard. Peter, welcome to the podcast. G'day Mark, that's a big build up. I don't know if I can reach that lofty height, but let's see how we go. We've got to convince the listeners, Pete, come on now. (laughs) How long have you been specialising in this area? I've worked around the data space, gee, right back to the green screen um, trading technologies back in the 1980s, and then went into telco and mobile phones and the internet, and then back into data again with social media and digital platforms. So I've been around data for really all my working life, over 40 years and um, really focused on data almost to the exclusion of anything else for about the last four or five years. What the listeners, I think, are curious about is what can happen in the workplaces of 2019? What things can be seen? What can employers do about watching an employee? And before we start the podcast, I know you and I were talking about um, what goes on in the Pilbara, in the mining area of Western Australia. Do you want to tell the listeners about that? It certainly fascinated me. Yeah, I mean, one of the uh, big developments in the last few years has been the so-called Internet of Things, the ability to interconnect almost any device to the Internet and from that um, to uh, analyse data a long way away from where something is happening. So uh, that has led to, amongst other things, a number of applications that are designed for fatigue monitoring of vehicles that may be a long way away from home base. So in the mining industry in WA, there are now uh, in deployment uh, applications where um, a driver is monitored for signs of fatigue, for example, micro sleeps, as indicated by either ECG activity measured by a cap with sensors or a camera on the dashboard that looks for the rapid eye movement that characterises someone about to go into a micro sleep. And that will then uh, sound an alarm on the dashboard that the driver has to respond to. And if there are, for example, three alarms in a 10 or 15 minute period, um, the driver will be informed by the truck that it's going to shut down in five minutes. So he or she needs to drive the truck into the siding. So in essence, the concept is um, 
through remote monitoring of what's happening in a truck um, to send behavioural nudges to the driver to take a break and if they don't take a break to deliver more than a nudge to actually turn off the power of the truck. Oh my God, folks. Um, I had no idea this was going on. It's great from a safety point of view, I guess, but I think if you were at school and thinking of a working life driving those big wheeled vehicles in mines wearing a yellow vest and blue heeler steel cap boots and all the rest of it, I wonder whether you've really thought about being monitored to that extent. It seems incredible, but it's happening now. And I think the the aspect of this that most people don't understand is that um, as well as those kinds of specialist applications, there's a lot of what I call digital exhaust um, being created through just the use of everyday devices that can be captured and used if need be in uh, legal proceedings. So if you think, for example, about the devices that you have about you as an individual nowadays, just looking around me, I've got uh, a laptop, I've got a mobile phone that's saying where I am and what I do. I'm wearing a Fitbit, um, which can not only say when I move, but is sufficiently sophisticated to know whether I'm wearing it or my wife is wearing it because it actually measures gait and can distinguish between individuals by their gait. Uh, I've got a toll tag in my car which says whenever I pass over the bridge or through an expressway and so on. So there are many devices that we willingly deploy and use in our everyday life that are capturing the digital exhaust of our life and which are also available to employers. Are employers using that information in the Australian workplace now, do you think? There's a lot of uh, use of computer surveillance, that is use of um, either computer devices or online applications that a employer makes available for an employee's use. And that's partly for uh, reasons of uh, managing employer liability for misuse of, uh, uh, of workplace resources. It's partly for cybersecurity and identifying whether an employee is putting an employer's systems at undue risk. And it is partly, in some workplaces, used to measure productivity of employees. And those kinds of applications are becoming um, quite important in those industries where employees may be working in a variety of um, places, not only in a designated workplace, but potentially also at home or on the move. So many employers are interested in the potential to um, survey or surveil what an employee is doing, not only in a designated workplace, but other places, including 
on the move and at home? I think a lot of people are familiar now with the fact that what you say on social media, what you put on your Facebook page, you need to be careful about because if you're critical of your employer, it can be used against you as an employee. But I think for the people listening to this podcast, one of the questions they would have is this. We all know that Facebook, Google and others build up digital portraits of us from our behaviour on social media, our behaviour on our iPhones and everything, and they sell those digital portraits to advertisers and retailers and what have you, because those portraits will tell those people something about us. Are employers using those digital portraits for their existing workforce or for people who want to be part of that workforce to determine how suitable everyone is? Many, um, in particular large employers now, will do a social media background check as a routine pre-employment screening check. So, uh, and those uh, reports can actually be quite uh, comprehensive and revealing. So, um, it will include, uh, amongst other things, a prospective employee's Instagram, Facebook um, uh, activities. Uh, it may also include um, knowledge of uh, browsing activities that can be derived uh, through various uh, technologies and services. So there's quite a rich vein of information that uh, prospective employers can use to determine the suitability of a prospective employee. And that kind of uh, monitoring is increasingly common of existing employees in some workplaces. To determine whether they're going to be promoted or not? That might be one Quite, quite possibly. Right. Wow. Um, to anticipate a Me Too type issue in a workplace, a prospective okay. Israel Folau type issue, uh, depending upon the perception within an, uh, within an organisation of its uh, public exposure to adverse publicity as a result of being associated with an employee's activities both in the workplace and outside. Wow. I keep saying wow during this podcast, listeners. That's because I'm learning things here at a rapid rate that uh, are certainly uh, eye and ear opening. Um, I think most of us knew this sort of technology was available, but not a lot of us were thinking about it in the workplace, and that's what Peter's talking about here. Um, where do you think it's going to go, Peter, in, in a workplace context? Because there's so much available, as you've told us, and it seems to me we're headed towards a radically different workplace than we've known probably for the last 50 years. I'd say there are three big trends. The first is, as a result of all the publicity around how digital platforms use data collected about users of those platforms, 
many employees now have a much more detailed understanding of the extent to which a portrait about them can be built from their digital activities. And that will translate into workplaces through employees really starting to look more deeply at the policies, for example, that employers have published around surveillance in the workplace. Now, a few years ago, the more sort of savvy and better advised employers started to put out pretty fulsome statements of um, the kinds of surveillance that would happen within a workplace. And really, it was a little like the privacy policies of the digital platforms, kind of nobody read them or took them too seriously or really uh, took the employer to task as to whether the forms of surveillance were reasonable, proportionate, appropriately justified. But now you're getting into a situation where employees are much better informed, potentially a lot more sensitive about what information is collected about them and how it is being used. And that's happening at the same time as IoT as meaning that there are more devices out there in workplaces, on the streets, in homes, um, surveilling what people are doing and collecting relevant information. And all of this is happening at a time when the laws on surveillance in Australia are, to be frank, a mess. So there's inconsistent state and territory laws. There's workplace surveillance laws in three of the states, but not in other states. The law as to what is regarded as a tracking device uh, differs markedly from state to state. Um, in some states, a mobile phone will be regarded as a tracking device because it's got geolocation capability. In other states, it's only a tracking device if the device's primary purpose is to track and the geolocation information is just a secondary aspect of the device. So all of that saying that the law is not really fit for purpose at the moment, it's not well understood, it's not well applied, and that's happening at the same time as employees are becoming more uh, sensitive as to collections of data, and both employees and employers attempted to use devices to monitor or report on what the other is doing at an increasing rate. Wow, it's going to be war of the devices. Listen, I'm absolutely sure that Christian Porter, the uh, Attorney General for the Commonwealth, listens to this podcast regularly. I'm sure he does. So, Attorney General, uh, when you are listening to this, if you could just make a mental note that we need some clarity in the law, that'd be a really good thing. Where else is it going to go, Pete? Where else is it going to go? What can we say to the listeners? It's, it's, it's sounding very threatening at the moment. Well, the other issue in this is that um, many of the surveillance device and tracking device laws make it illegal to collect 
relevant information without at least notice to the affected individual and in some cases without their active consent. And not only that, um, the acts then create offences, criminal offences, uh, including imprisonment for illegal collection of evidence. However, um, under the Federal Evidence Act and um, the Uniform Evidence Acts in some of the states, illegally obtained evidence can be admitted into legal proceedings where a judge determines that the value of that evidence outweighs the detriment in admitting it. Well, I might just butt in there and let everybody know. If you're a keen watcher of television and the movies, you'll know that in the USA, if evidence is illegally obtained, it can't be introduced in court proceedings. There's a blanket rule about that. In Australia, though, as you've just heard from our esteemed guest, Peter Leonard, uh, it's a bit different. And if the evidence is illegal, that doesn't mean that it can't be used. That's really where we're at, aren't we? Yeah, and just to emphasise that in the fair work jurisdiction, the fair work jurisdiction is not even regulated by Section 138 of the Evidence Act because the Commission can admit any evidence that it considers is of, of value to a determination. So in practice, the Commission uh, has said recently that it will look at Section 138 as a guide to how to think about what to admit and what not to, but the Commission, not being bound by normal rules of evidence, has an open discretion to let illegally obtained evidence in. So I think we will see more uh, illegally gathered evidence, both gathered by employers and by employees, um, coming into uh, proceedings in the Fair Work Commission. And we're already seeing uh, a growing wave of it coming in in family law proceedings, where again, the courts have got very broad discretions, particularly in custodial matters. And where often, for example, a wife that is being subjected to domestic abuse, the best available tool to her for to capture evidence of that abuse occurring you know, within the four walls of a home behind locked doors is for her to grab her mobile phone and start recording what the, um, the perpetrator is doing. So we're seeing now illegally obtained recordings commonly admitted in family law proceedings. We're seeing it come in to the Fair Work Commission more and we are seeing it in other jurisdictions as well. And again, for keen television watchers, there's been a popular show with an, by an Australian author called Big Little Lies, which had its second, um, second series this year. And what Peter's just described, a battered wife filming herself being battered, was a major point in that series, uh, was introduced into the court case. So we're going to see, it looks like not the war of the worlds, but the workplaces of 
digital surveillance expanding exponentially from here for probably a number of years yet. It's, um, I think, going to be a huge challenge for employers and employees in Australia. Yeah, I think um, one of the um, changes that we're starting to see, and nobody quite knows where it will end, is the use of AI to analyse the data that is being collected by all of these devices. And really what's keeping a bit of a lid on this um, very proliferation of uh, data sources has been the ability of organisations to actually look at, make sense of, uh, all of the data that is potentially available. But that um, lid or that box is about to be opened because AI enables um, the analysis of information to work out whether the information is of value or not. And a classic example is um, surveillance technologies now used in some airports where the, uh, the technology uh, works out those things that are meant to be in a particular space and anything that is unusual in that space. So for example, if somebody leaves a bag in a public area for more than a certain period and people move around the bag that, uh, but there appears to be nobody closely associated with the bag, then the AI will escalate that for attention and review by a human. So a human doesn't have to look for unusual things. The AI founds, finds the things that may be of use and escalates them for human evaluation. And if you think about how AI can be used for all of the pervasive surveillance devices, tracking devices uh, that are watching, observing, listening, to everything that we do nowadays, that then means that it needs a lot less human intervention for unusual activity or activity of interest to be brought to the attention of a human. So AI could work out whether someone in a steel factory, for instance, um, was consistently working unsafely and was an accident waiting to happen. AI could work that out and alert the employer about that person. Indeed, and, and you might, for example, have AI in an environment where people are meant to be working, uh, wearing hard hats that um, looks for anyone that's not wearing a hard hat and sounds an alert to uh, an OH&S supervisor in that space. Um. I was um, in front of a judge the other day, and not just to fill in time, but I did ask the judge whether he thought lawyers might be replaced by AI. He seemed very confident that that couldn't happen. Having listened to everything you've said today, Peter, I don't think I'm that confident. There are going to be so many of us out there <laughs> that I think might be replaced by AI down the track. It's a bit of a worry. But that's going to be a challenge for the planet as a whole, I think. 
Yeah, I think the man-machine interface will change. By man, I mean person. Um, and um, what will happen is the interface will rise. That is, the artificial intelligence will be able to do more of the more mundane sorting of information in order to present the really interesting and difficult problem to a human to solve. So I think the issue in areas like law is not will AI replace the lawyer, but when will AI blow away all of those junior legal tasks that are involved in sorting through masses of stuff and sorting it into something ready for a more experienced lawyer to make a decision on. And that's true, I think, of many workplaces that will see that change. And that means you get a whole hollowing out of, um, of professions where the junior people don't have the paths through of doing the more mundane tasks because they've been taken by technology. And that's where I think the impact will be greatest. Well, Mahatma Gandhi warned against the loss of ordinary jobs. He said that it would ultimately destroy society if menial tasks were lost. Uh, he, didn't, he didn't live, obviously, to see anything like what we're seeing now, but I wonder what he would think about it. Peter Leonard, I want to thank you for being our guest. It's been a fascinating discussion. We could chew up another hour and 30 minutes in this podcast, and I think just scratch the surface. So Peter Leonard from Data Synergies, thank you so much, and I look forward to talking to you again down the track. Thank you.